That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hey, it's Crystal Knight and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. This week, President Biden released his um, re-election video and he talked about protecting freedoms. I'm going to talk about that with former state senator from Tennessee, Katrina Robinson. But before I even get to that, there are a couple shakeups in media that I think will be really important as we think about moving ahead into the 2024 election cycle. One, Don Lemon was fired from CNN at the top of the week on the same day. Tucker Carlson was also fired from Fox News. Both of these folks had huge followings. Tucker Carlson was literally like the number one Fox News host. But considering what happened with the Dominion lawsuit and considering that there are other pending lawsuits against Fox News, I am not surprised that that happened. As far as Don Lemon, you know, there was an article that came out Uh, maybe a month or so ago in Variety that talked about a lot of his alleged sexism at the workplace. And he's had some pretty contentious interviews since he's moved to the morning time slot. But also in another shakeup, CNN also announced that Gail King and Charles Barkley will be headlining their own primetime show called King Charles. I don't foresee it being heavy, heavy news, more news, um, pop, you know, maybe even sports commentary. But I thought that that's interesting. And also on CNN, John King, who has done a lot of election coverage, he is moving from his show Inside Politics. Dana Bash will be taking over his show. He's still going to be at CNN. He's just going to be focusing on a specific voter project traveling across the country, talking to voters from now until election day of next year. And so for those of you who care about news and really follow a lot of these news personalities, these are some pretty big shakeups, particularly with Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson. You know, my thoughts around what's happening at Fox News um, is interesting because they've been able to control a lot of the narrative based upon the people who listen to them. And if one of the folks who has, you know, been putting out a lot of misinformation and disinformation is gone, what does that mean for the media landscape? Also, what does that mean as we move into the 2024 election cycle? I think the other thing that is newsworthy that happened this week is that Carolyn Bryant died. And you may say, well, Crystal, who's Carolyn Bryant? Well, she is the woman who accused Emmett Till of looking, whistling at her in Mississippi. Emmett Till was from Chicago, Illinois, and he went to Mississippi to visit family. And ultimately, he was hunted down and killed. And his mother decided to have an open casket ceremony for his death. That moment in time, I wasn't born, but that moment in time, many folks say, is what sparked the civil rights movement. And so 
Many people on social media have been celebrating her death. I am not celebrating her death because she was not brought to justice. Emmett Till died at the age of 14. She got to live to the age of 88 without any repercussions. And so I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. But Joe Biden announced this week that he is running for reelection. Kamala Harris is still going to be his running mate. And he's been talking about in his in his opening video on YouTube. He talked a lot about protecting democracy. That's something that he wanted to really get across to voters. He showed the images from January the 6th. We all know that, you know, that was the failed insurrection that was headed by former President Donald Trump, who's also running for reelection. What do you think about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris running, particularly when two people have already said that they're going to run against him, Marianne Williamson and Kennedy Jr.? What are your thoughts just about Biden's chances for re-election. Um, I just have to say to Joe, good luck. <laughs> um, we're talking about a president who has currently what a thirty-six percent approval rating uh, across the board. So I, it's going to be a challenge either way. But I think the the bigger challenge is because now there are people who are formidable contenders announcing that they are interested in the office. He's got a, a steeper hill to climb than just you know, going back to the same song and dance to get elected when we're talking about protecting democracy and, you know, capitalizing on the division between the parties. I think America is past it at this point, and he's going to have to bring a little bit more than what he's brought uh, in his past election. You know, people have been saying, well, the polls are showing that nobody wants him to run, but the polls are also showing that people don't want Donald Trump to run. And people are talking about their ages, but Donald Trump is not that much younger than Joe Biden. Do you feel like age really is going to play a factor? I mean, these are likely going to be the two candidates. Do you really think that their age is going to be a big deal in this this next election? I do think so, because after we've seen it, it, America's at a different place right now. So you have a, a younger population that's now galvanized and more energized about what's happening in America as far as democracy and electing officials who they feel like reflect what they want to see happen. And I don't know. Uh, any millennials or Gen Z or Gen Xers who can identify with either Joe Biden or former President Trump. I also feel like they kind of (laughs) expired. Their tactics have expired over the course of the last, I would say, three years when we're looking at what Joe Biden has been able to do or not do while he's been in office and still dealing with the distraction that is former President Donald Trump. So America's at a point now where, okay, we don't want old guys. We don't want Donald Trump. We don't want Biden. We just know what we don't want. And so that's why there's an opportunity for other people to be uh, elevated on their platforms as they pursue this office, because we got two old men that America's quite sick of at this point (laughs) on either side. I mean, you got Republicans who are denouncing Trump finally. Right. And then you have Democrats who are utterly disappointed in the performance of the White House. And so we're at we're at a really critical turning point right now. And I think age is going to be a factor. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm really hopeful. This is just my prediction This is a wild prediction. I'm hopeful that Joe Biden will get reelected, but also that he will step down and Kamala will become the first woman president of the states and the first woman of color, black woman. A lot of people aren't excited about Kamala, and that's unfortunate, but I don't think 
I don't see Joe Biden giving us another four years. I just don't, I don't see it happening. And if he does in fact step down, it would have to be Kamala. Like they couldn't just put somebody else in place. It would be her. Like I'm wondering, are they already thinking about that as a contingency and like what that succession will look like? I'm pretty sure they're thinking about that already. And I'm, I'm actually surprised, actually interested to learn more about why you think that's a good idea. (laughs) Um, but Kamala, yeah, I, I think uh, I think the issues has been that Kamala has kind of been pushed or aside or, or as she's complained about swept to the back office mm-hmm. from this administration hasn't been able to perform as we've seen past VPs perform or be more vocal uh, in her position. So I don't necessarily think or have the confidence in this administration that there is a plan of secession to go from Biden to Harris. If there is, kudos to them. However, I just don't think that that's the thought process. I really don't. I think if Joe Biden gets reelected, he's going to try to ride that thing out through Ooh. Alzheimer's or whatever comes about. He's going to try to ride it out. And yeah. I don't think that, that he's going to step down because if he were going to step down, then naturally he would not run for re-election and would be supporting Kamala on the front end right now. Okay. I maintain my position that I don't see him doing a full term. It's hard for me to believe that from a medical standpoint that he wants to do this again for four more years, not like his desire. I'm sure he wants to, you know, protect the country and still be president and all of that, but it's grueling. Those hours, but Crystal, you got to think about it. You came from a city where we had somebody that was ninety years old insisting on staying in office. That's true. Come on now, <laughs> provided she was a black woman, but it's no different. That's true. And people are dead set on being in a position for whatever personal reasons they have, whatever personal commitment they have to themselves. They're gonna ride that thing until the wheels fall off, and we're That's gonna be true. stuck with them. That's a good point. I mean, even speaking of, you know, the city of Memphis, Barbara Cooper, the former state representative for District 86, she clearly was in her position. And unfortunately, she expired in her position. And that really and baby, we ran from the grave. Do you hear me? She was reelected from the grave. Well, that's because the state could not. They had already printed the ballots when her death happened. So, but it made the way for Justin Pearson, who has become like a household name the last month because of the Tennessee three expulsions. You know, Justin Pearson out of Memphis, Justin Jones out of Nashville and Gloria Johnson out of Knoxville. The three of them, you know, went up to the well, which you're very familiar as a former state senator. You're familiar with what the process is to speak up. You know, Justin Jones has stated over and over again that the Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, refused to provide opportunity for him and others to speak and ask questions. They would cut their mics off. And so they felt that they had no other choice after the covenant shooting in early April than to just walk up to the podium. But when they walked up to the podium, they gaveled the session out, cut the mic off. and But, you know, lo and behold, they had a bullhorn and ultimately they were expelled. Now, the question that I really want to ask you, Katrina, as a former state senator, and I don't want to ask you this and get you in any kind of trouble or predicament, but I looked at the video. I actually was in Nashville the day that the that the that they went to the well. I was there the day it happened. And. We know a lot of the same people. 
And I think one of the narratives that people aren't talking about is that some of the caucus members, the Democratic caucus members, disagree with what happened. Now, I think now that everything has blown up, it's a national story. People shouldn't be expelled because they disagree. But if we're being honest, some of them were not supporting them when it when it happened in real time. I'll tell you this. <laughs> if the people that should have been supporting uh, voices being heard on behalf of gun rights, if they all would have stood in that well together, we wouldn't have even had those proceedings because you cannot expel 26 members Factual. for standing up and wanting to be heard. And I know Justin, both uh, Justin Jones has been there since I, I mean, he is a freedom fighter, honey. Mm-hmm. When I was on the Judiciary Committee, there was one point where I had to kind of elbow my way through and make him be heard in Judiciary Committee. He's been that much of a fire um, at the legislature and to the point where they were getting him arrested every other day in the elevator, you know, yeah. making up charges against him. And so I was actually just happy that he got elected because it was like a smack in the face of the Republicans. Right. Um, but I do think that if there were more people that stood up on that day when those protesters were there and demanded they be heard, because this is not a new thing. You know, they'll try to make it like it was a new thing where they were cutting the mics off because of what was happening. No, they've done that in the past. Gloria Johnson, she is notoriously one that's picked on her mic is cut and she's not called on. That's something that they do in the House. They have a more infantile way of doing things. Right. You know, we didn't do that in the Senate, but it's not a new practice. But I do feel like if those Democrats would have stood up the way they stood up behind those people on national TV, if they would have stood up when the protest was happening, we wouldn't have even had this conversation. That's the thing that I, I don't know if people are approaching it from that perspective. And elected officials have to ask themselves, what are you doing now to really bring about change? And I know that they're in the minority in both the House and the Senate. But what can you do to elevate the conversation, to elevate tragedies that have been happening across our state so that people don't continue to get killed. I mean, even when the state decided that it would be okay to have permitless carry, many of our elected officials from Memphis came to the state house and said, this will negatively impact the city of Memphis. Not that it won't negatively impact the rest of the state, but it will be detrimental to public safety. And it is. Carjackings are up. Gun crime is up. You know, people breaking in cars looking for guns is up. And state officials, I don't know that they think about those kind of repercussions when they're making these laws and voting on stuff. So what kind of insight can you give to our listeners just around the way politics works when you're in a supermajority and you're in the super minority in a state like Tennessee? I want to say this. I want to go back to what we were just talking about. Like sure. You just woke up something. Contrary to popular belief, these people are not the first people to be expelled. We know that because I was expelled last year. That's right. The difference between them and me is the abuse of media. So mm. by watching media, people thought that I actually deserved to be expelled and that I had committed some type of violation of the ethics policy. And that was just not true. I was actually expelled before my conviction was formal. And we had watched what was happening over the course of time where it was in jeopardy that I would actually be vindicated fully. And they wanted to make the moves that they made. And the only way that they were able to do that is because Republicans operate lockstep. They do not get out of line with each other. 
That's right. Do you, I don't know if you, you heard the audio where they were trying to, and I don't know who doesn't know this audio was leaked on purpose. It was because there was this, this supposed to be backroom conversation about them not expelling Gloria. Right. And one person was like, well, the document didn't match. We were saying what's happening, blah, blah, blah. And that's why I voted for her to stay. And really that's not what happened. That's not what happened. It was done on purpose, but they released this audio because they wanted to be absolved of any racism. Of course. Publicly. Right. Right. And it's the same thing. I think people negate the fact that the Republicans already have an agenda before they get to the floor. They have an agenda, they have a plan and they know what they're going to execute. And they've already thought two steps ahead and they have their actors already picked out. They know who's going to carry what bill, who's going to do what in committee. They do all of this stuff in, in sync on the democratic side. It's not like that. Yeah. We, we have an issue with, people who want to be the first to do things, people who want to be the voice of everything, the face of everything, want to jump in front of the press on different issues and really don't have a concrete strategy as to how we're going to get to our agenda that the people have elected us to move. Right. Um, And I think that's extremely important in situations where you're in states like Tennessee, where we are the super, super duper minority. Right. And we have to have our things together. We don't have our stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it plays out every time. It's very important. And you've seen what's happened when we galvanize people from all over the country, the activists that finally showed up, even though they didn't show up when I called them, but they uh-uh. showed up when everybody got together mm-hmm. and collectively said, hey, these people are about to be expelled. We need help from uh, Until Freedom. We need help from the National Action Network. We need everybody here on the front lines to defend democracy in Tennessee. That's really how you have to do things in a state like this. You have to have a collective effort. You have to have people who are not afraid to be out front and being contrary to what is popular at the moment. That's a good point. I I do think that this is it has been a, a very good media spin to keep this conversation elevated. I mean, this past Sunday, they were literally at the White House meeting with both the president and the vice president. And if people don't think that this is going to come up during the 2024 election cycle, it absolutely will. I foresee all three of them, Gloria and both of the Justins, not only being invited to the DNC. I don't know if they'll speak, but they'll be invited for sure. But when we talk about gun reform in this country, they will become surrogates. They will become the face of it. And I think in Montana or it was either in Montana or Minnesota Another state representative was just, which is so odd. In this case, um, this woman was expelled, but she can still vote. She just can't come back to the state house. When you see stuff like this happening in Tennessee, it can happen in other states. It's just like a blueprint. Like, oh, that's how we get rid of our political opponents. We just expel them. And that's what I'm saying. Like when I went through my process, I said the same thing that Justin Jones said about the people that were there and allowed to stay there Mm -hmm. and the people that were sitting there judging me from their high horses. And my comment was, I may be the first, but I will not be the last. And here we are just a year later. And now we're seeing it in a different light, but there's a different media spin on it. So Mm -hmm. it makes it more palatable for other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it brings other people into the conversation. Whereas when it was me, it was basically like, this is just a black woman. She all right. 
Right. Or when you got three people and one person is of another race and they're talking about gun uh, legislation and people have just been killed. Mm-hmm. There's a whole different look on it. So I think for me, my frustration is whichever way you cut it, it's still the same thing. That's right. It just is like this, this, this lawmaker in Montana, it's still the same thing. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether it's because she's transgender and vocal on the floor. It doesn't matter whether you had a bullhorn because your mic was being cut off. It doesn't matter that you're waiting on a legal proceeding to, to end. If it's not an expulsory offense, there should be some type of uh, recourse for the electorate to be able to have a voice in that because these are the people that have elected these people to these positions. That's right. You can't tell me that I've elected my representative to come here and be a voice among your body and your body can not only silence my representative, but also silence my vote in the process, no matter what it was. So when I stood up for expulsion before my body, my electorate was in the gallery. They were there saying, Hey, we've elected her. We want her to stay. Let her finish what she has to do. And then we'll we'll see what the next step is. Right. But if no one shows up and actually demands that these things happen, that these process happen, because one of the problems in Tennessee is that the rules and the Constitution don't really have enough teeth where someone could fight expulsion. Okay. Like there is no it's no black and white to it, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they can basically wield this as a weapon to be able to expel members that they're just dissatisfied with those that don't meet the status quo, those that don't sit down when they're, when they're silenced, they can continue to do this over and over again and waste the taxpayers money, waste the time with the local commissions and local legislative bodies that have to reappoint these people. You are basically just throwing money out the window that can be used for good legislation and gun reform. Wow. It's always some people sit up there and, and had a, I watched it on the, on my computer. A six-hour hearing. They did. I've watched it as well. Three members for approaching a well. And I guarantee, I'll tell you this, when you go to the legislature, there is no training. They give you an iPad, a key card, (laughs) and you go about your business. They don't tell you not to go to the well when you won't be recognized. So I understand that the justices were not kind of clued in on what they should and should not be doing. And they wanted to push the envelope a little bit because both of them are activists. But you cannot make that a weapon to expel people. Yeah, that's the thing. You can't make up a reason to expel someone who's elected to a position. This is not like you hired a secretary that's not performing. This is somebody that's somebody that people represented. Yeah. Yes, yes. So you're not just punishing them. You're punishing their entire district. Right. And you're punishing the entire state of Tennessee because the time that you're spending on an expulsory hearing... You could be spending actually like the guy's um, what was his was it farmer I think that stood up and he was like just pass the bill pass the bill. Well, the problem is black people can't pass bills in Tennessee the way they should be able to. That's the real problem. I was like when he said that I was just taking it back. I said I can't believe this man just standing there telling this man to just pass the bill. Right, like no, y'all are gonna actually works. vote on it and get it out of committee so it can get to the floor for a vote. Like right, that's the thing right. that that's frustrating. It's like. You need to just follow the rules. Well, the rules are rigged. And if the rules are rigged, how are you telling somebody to follow the rules? Like, that's the thing that doesn't make sense. And if you don't follow the rigged rules, then get out of here. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like the rules are rigged. It's all made up. And so and I think the thing that's so frustrating as well is like this is the same speaker, Cameron Sexton, who is allegedly sleeping with the lobbyist Mm. who also allegedly 
doesn't live in his district in Crossville, Tennessee. And got a straw mortgage and the people of the state of Tennessee are paying for his per diem. Yeah. At his. Oh, okay. Yeah. This that's, is the same, that's the same speaker. And so it's like, y'all are the same people who have your body is scandal ridden and you have the audacity to expel people because they spoke out using a bullhorn. They basically they interrupted a session and y'all are making trying to make them martyrs and akin them to what happened on January the 6th. Nobody peed in them in a, in a seat from on the Democratic side. Do you hear me? Nobody was caught doing drugs in a you know nightclub in, in Nashville like the former or Speaker writing, of the House. Or writing bogus prescriptions for their cousin who happens to be their nurse who they're sleeping with behind their wife's back. Listen, we or don't even have time to run through the scandals. In Medicare fraud. Uh, no, nobody's doing that. Right. And these are the same people who sat in seats and looked at me and looked at Justin and looked at Gloria and looked at the other Justin and said, hey, you are not fit to be a part of this body. And in, in my mind, you're right. We're not. <laughs> you're right. right. However, people have elected us to be here. That's right. You guys mm-hmm. to bring a little class to the joint. Yeah. want us to go. Yeah. I just to me, it's just like it's the highest level of hypocrisy. I really don't know how they look at themselves every day. How do you look at yourself every day in the mirror knowing that and the people who voted, you know, who voted for the expulsions, right? Like even when I think about what happened in Memphis compared to what happened in Nashville with both of the Justins, when Justin, when the Nashville Metro Council had to vote to reappoint Justin, all the members showed up and voted for him. In Memphis, I know two of the Democratic uh, members of the Shelby County Commission were out of the country on, on travel, but the, none of the Republicans showed up. I mean, they didn't have to, obviously, but right. thankfully there are enough Democratic, you know, Shelby County commissioners. But that's when, when I think about accountability, when those folks get ready to run for reelection, they should be reminded what they did not do to protect democracy. Because it, right. it, it should hurt you none. It, it should hurt you none. You're not a state representative. Right, right. Why wouldn't you show up to help reappoint Again, somebody who was duly elected? GOP, baby, is lockstep. I'm telling you, they are lockstep. If they said, don't you go to the county commission meeting? Because they had already threatened to take our funding, right? Right. Um, and so basically, if, if the state GOP has threatening to take our funding what is the republican local legislative body what 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 would they look like to show up for a meeting that they are supposed to be in step with their state counterparts yeah to deprive Memphis of funding and we know that our counterparts are threatening to do this we can't show up for this vote but have they no shame when the world was watching katrina the world was watching you watched it. They have no shame. Bob Freeman stood up in the back of that, that room and talked to Justin as if he was a boy. Okay? They have no shame. They have no shame in anything that they do. They find justification for the smallest things. They find justification in Jesus. They find They definitely weaponize faith. That's for sure. Yes. Yes. And it's sickening that there's such a dichotomy. Like, you you can tell me that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to save all unborn lives. And then when they get here, they have no insurance. We don't care about the education. We let them get shot up in schools. How can you tell me that you are governing on the basis of Christianity 
and you do everything opposite. It doesn't make sense. And this is the same body that wants us to believe that they are they have the the best interests of the residents of the state in mind. And I think that's the thing that that always gets me is like somebody is voting for them. Right. Like. Somebody is and voting somebody for these members and, and somebody <laughs> lying. The math ain't math. Then. Somebody lying. <laughs> I don't. I, yeah. yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like what? Like, so as a former state senator from this state, from this body, like what what can you tell us that people should just know? Like, what do you think is next? What do you think is next for the state of Tennessee, considering the moment that we're in right now? I really think Tennessee is headed to hell in a handbasket. Oh, Lord. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Oh, goodness. Um, That's not helpful. We have a governor who don't know his head from his tail. We've maintained a super minority for uh, representation for both blacks and Democrats. Um, And that's not going to change, especially with redistricting that has fired out of control. So I think we, we are in a very, very vulnerable place right now. And unfortunately, we're at the place where we don't have the representation that we needed numbers, but also in action. Think about it. How many people stood up for those folks before there was national attention? Mm-hmm. How many other members did you see advocating for those three people before the, the camera showed up? Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not a coincidence. The, the lack of fortitude is what's going to lead us to destruction. The, the lack of leadership, the lack of cohesiveness right. is what's going to lead us to destruction. Because even if we're a small number, we need to be mighty in number and we're not. So what would you say to your former colleagues? Like, you know, these people, you know, every single Democratic state senator and state representative. And maybe there's one or two new ones, I think, this year. But I still think you probably know them. What would you say to them at because the, really there's still a lot of, t- of attention on the state if you were advising them how would you advise them to move forward i think there needs to be and we talked about this even when i was in office there needs to be some strategy there needs to be some organization as to how we handle things how we move legislation forward that actually is substantive and not just uh, smoke and mirrors yeah. There needs to be conversation around how we actually put together policy instead of press junkets. We need to have people in place as advisors to the caucuses to say, hey, this is what's happening on a national and global level. This is the legislation that we think is a good idea for you all to get together, plan to run. And you have people who are concentrated on education. You have people who are concentrated on crime, who are concentrated on health initiatives, if you have a cohesive plan and you have people operating in their role within that plan, you all can get together an agenda that actually makes sense and moves forward. But when you have people that are just backbiting and, and on each other's backs about doing the same legislation, there was one point when it was five people running the same piece of legislation, just different Why? language, just craziness. There's no communication. So uh, I think the the secret is if you're going to be small in number and if you're going to be discounted and, and marginalized in your capacity, you have to have a strategy together. You have to be thinking two to three steps ahead of the other party because that's what it's become. It's become like a gang war, really. It's the Republicans against the Democrats. It's not the body for the state of Tennessee. It's me against you. 
And if it's me against you, it better be me every time. And the only way it's going to be that is that we have a strategy together. And that's just, that hasn't happened in the time that I was there, the time since I've been there. Um, I'm just not seeing it. Yeah. I'm not seeing it. And people have to be bolder. You have to speak up and you have to speak up and use your platform for something other than your personal promotion. You have to speak up to make it make sense for the electorate to see that, hey, okay, we got 10 representatives from Memphis and they are Memphis, Memphis, Memphis. And they're not afraid to speak up for Memphis. They're not afraid to speak up for the black electorate. They're not afraid to speak up for Democrats. They really know what they have their hand to the street and they know what we need and they're not afraid to speak up for it. We just don't have that. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have people who've been in office for quite some time. And I think maybe you saw the part where Representative Kumar, who is the only person of color right. um, in the Republican Party in the House. And one of the things that he said to Justin is, why don't you just join our culture? Why don't you just be more like us? I distinctly remember yeah. Justin calling him the brown face of white supremacy. Yeah. And, and Justin caught flack for that. But it's the total truth. That is the expectation is that once you're here for a while, you just kind of fly under the radar and secure your time here. You just run for re-election and run for re-election and just sit there. Well, that's not getting us anywhere. If you just sit there and you've been there 20 years, what are you doing? What, what is happening? The respect is not being used. We're not leveraging our, our, our tenure. We're not leveraging the respect that you have from your Republican colleagues who you served with for years. You're not leveraging the resources and the relationships that you have to build a coalition to make things happen collectively for the minority. So what are we what are we doing? Yeah, my thing is, I feel like if somebody is going to be there, they need to be somebody who is a true voice. Well, I think we will. There's going to be another a special session. The governor called a special session this summer um, so that Republicans can address the gun control, which they clearly were OK with ending the session without addressing it. And I think. And that's, that's the other frustrating thing. You're going to spend all this money on a special session. You have to pay each representative per diem. You have to pay their travel. You have to pay your clerks. You have to pay the lights. You got to pay all this stuff for a special session when you could have done this during regular legis- legislative session instead of holding an, expose, uh, an, an expelling hearing for three representatives. Yeah. We could have been talking about the same legislation that's going to be talked about in this special session. That is totally unnecessary. As a former state senator, how long are special sessions? How long do they last? It depends on what you have to, um, what it's called for, because you may, in the special session, you can only address what the governor has called the special session for. So it just depends on how long it takes you to get through the committees and get through the actual voting. Uh, it depends on what it is, too. So it could be a three-day session or it could be two weeks. I mean, it just depends on what the, the um, agenda is. Okay, and then we also have the special elections for both Justins. Both of them have to run again. So how is this, again, not a waste of Tennessean taxpayer dollars to hold a special election in Nashville, to hold a special election in Memphis for two men who were already reappointed? It's a total waste. It made, it, do you curse on your show? Uh, not not really, but you, I mean, you, okay. the, the guests can. I don't, I personally okay, don't good. really. But. I'm glad you're a good girl, Crystal, but it's the <laughs> dumbest shit I ever heard of in my life. <laughs> like, how y'all have a whole session, pick these people out, they back less than four days later. Right. Now you can have a special session to talk about what you should have been talking about while you were kicking them out. And 
you got to pay to hold an election for the same seat that was already secured. Right. Come on now. If anything, if I were a Republican voter. That would make me mad. That would make like, me mad. Yeah. I, I mean, I would, yeah. I would say I sent you up to Nashville to do one thing and you didn't do it. You up there playing politics instead of making my district where I live better. There are plenty of communities in the state that don't have access to broadband Wi-Fi, you know, that don't have. And and you know, you know, another thing I've I've seen Republicans talk about this is this whole Tennessee three thing has jeopardized their young Republican electorate. Good. It should. Young Republicans are like, well, we don't know if we want to do this. Y'all, y'all, y'all kind of crazy. We're going to go on the other side. They're like, this is not right. So I think they, they're starting to feel that now too. Yeah. Um, and I've seen some talks about people being worried about their reelection because of that. As and, they should. Uh, progressively collecting other seats after they've worked so hard to redistrict these areas so that they can have an, an, an upper hand on us. Now they're worried because the people that they've counted as their new voters are not going to be their new voters. Right. So, yeah, to be honest with you, I think we have dug a hole. Well, we didn't dig the hole. They've dug a hole for themselves and for the entire state. I also want to say if Democrats in the state of Tennessee don't pick up new seats off of what what happened this year, next year, then, yeah, we should be ashamed. And that's another thing we don't do. We don't leverage stuff like this. Like everybody will go and jump on MSNBC and CNN and, you know. Say their little piece. Get a little camera time. Yeah, get a little camera time. Post on Instagram. Yeah, cute. But we haven't done anything with it. What have you done? I mean, I've seen, I've gotten numerous emails, people trying to raise money, different organizations trying to raise money off of the Tennessee Three. But what are we doing to convert? uh, And I'm sorry, I'm speaking in marketing terms now. Yeah. What are we doing to maintain our conversion rate from this particular incident yeah. it's like every time something happens it's a hot button for a minute but we don't really capitalize on the long-term gain associated with it That's right. so we've got two opportunities well actually we got a few opportunities with the whole tennessee three thing you can appeal to the people who are gun rights people who are children's advocates mm-hmm. the blacks the democrats those who fight for democracy those who fight for voter equity right. there are so many facets that can be used to galvanize people to help us gain seats, gain seats and gain coverage, but we don't do a good job in the long run. It's just kind of like a hit this, quit it, and then move on to the next subject when really Democrats have so much to use, so much ammunition. I fully agree. Well, you know, Katrina, I don't know if you have any just kind of closing thoughts, but I think that this has been a really good conversation about the lessons that we can learn from something like this that, that just happened in the state Um, But I want to leave you with the last word. Again, I've been speaking with Katrina Robinson. She is a former Tennessee elected state senator, and she has been giving us her take on what's happened with the expulsions in the aftermath of where Tennessee can go moving forward. So, Katrina, I just want to I want to wrap us up and just really give you the last, you know, couple of minutes to just share. What do you think you'd like to leave with our listeners about the state of Tennessee? Uh, you know, Tennessee is one of those states that is always on the list. 
<laughs> not the good list, but e- we make every list for the wrong reasons. Wrong reasons. Um, and I think what we have witnessed in this last debacle with the Tennessee Three is the fact that there is, there really is power in people. Mm-hmm. There really is power in one message, in in one agenda, one mission, one vision. Mm-hmm. And I think if we take that and apply it across the board the same way that we got those elected officials back in their seats in less than a week. Um, there is so much else that can be done with that same type of fire, and that same type of coalition. So I just think we're in a different place right now. We have so many things that we need to be addressing, whether it's climate change, whether it's democracy, whether it's police brutality. There's so much wrong with America right now, and it could be so much right with it if everybody was on the same page. So I think the best thing we can do is to hold our elected officials accountable. And if they are not doing what we sent them there to do, then we send somebody there who does and we stand behind that person and fight with them through it all. Not just the good stuff or the stuff that resonates with us. But when there's a fight, everybody shows up for the fight. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We hope that you'll come back. I want to just say thank you again to Katrina Robinson. Thank you for having me, Crystal. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Night Show. After being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.